All right, well, let's turn back to Nehemiah chapter 2 today. Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll be reading the first eight verses will be our text today of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah, written towards the very end of the Old Testament history, God is bringing his people back as he promised and said he would from exile. We remember the first chapter from last week as the Lord would bring Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother, to the city of Susa, where Nehemiah was serving as cupbearer to the king. And Hananiah would, would tell Nehemiah that the conditions in Jerusalem were, were not good and that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and that the city itself was in devastation. And this, of course, broke Nehemiah's heart. I thank the Lord that it did. Sometimes we want to dismiss brokenness, but today we're going to find out that from brokenness comes boldness. <coughs> and that will be our title today. Boldness in brokenness. Read with me verse 1, chapter 2, book of Nehemiah. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. In the month of Nisan, we are told, in this first verse. As we turn the page from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you remember that chapter 1, it said it was the month of Kislev. So four months have transpired between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Nehemiah is broken. He is praying and he is fasting, no doubt, often for the condition of Israel, 
for the brokenness of the city, for the devastation that his people were enduring, and I think mostly for the, for the hit to the witness of God that was being reflected in the state of Jerusalem at the time. Book of Nehemiah, if you read much about, about it or study much, read commentators, so many of them focus on Nehemiah being a book about leadership. And I, I don't disagree that there are many lessons in the book of Nehemiah for leadership. There are many that you can apply, but I, I still feel, I believe, that to focus on human leadership in this book is to focus on one piece of a much larger picture. This isn't about human leadership. This is about godly leadership. This is about God moving upon the hearts of men and women. And I want to say just a few things before I begin in, in principle here today on the message that God's placed on my heart of this boldness in brokenness, because Nehemiah is broken at this time. He is devastated by the condition of his homeland. But the idea of human leadership in this book, I want to give you some thoughts to think about. The only person in your life that is worth following is the one who are themselves following the Lord. There is no true, ultimate human leader. Every human being in the world, you and I both, are followers. We are following something or someone. Ourselves, our pleasures, our desires, our will, or we are following some, the pleasures and will and desires of another. Be that God, or be that some other person, be that some other idea in your mind. But there is no human leadership ultimately that is responsible for what is happening in the book of Nehemiah. What is happening here is that God is moving upon his servant Nehemiah to do a great thing that Nehemiah could never do on his own, would never be able to do on his own, would never be able to puzzle out on his own, would never be able to arrange things in such a way that is on his own. And some might say, well, you're being a real downer to those who desire to be leaders. And I would say, if there's a desire in your heart to be a leader, I hope that it is first and foremost led by a desire to follow God first. Amen. But I'll tell you this, there's a, there's a liberty that comes from letting go of the, of the responsibility that we have to lead because what we have to do is to follow. Follow the Lord where he leads. We don't have to, to pave the path. God does. We don't have to find the path. God will show it to us. Nehemiah was just not just. This was an important position. He was a cupbearer to, to the king of the most mighty nation in the world. And yet he's just a man following the heart that God has given him to serve him and to honor him and to love him. So Nehemiah has heard about the devastation that still lies in Jerusalem. Four months have passed. In the first chapter we read of his 
praying and his fasting and his brokenness. And it says in this month of Nisan, four months later, there's some kind of feast, perhaps. No one really knows. The text doesn't say, but there's a time when the king is taking wine and Nehemiah, as his cupbearer, would taste the wine, ensure that it was acceptable, and would present it to the king. And King Artaxerxes looks and says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? You're sad. What is concerning you? What is, what is, is it that is causing you to be of sad countenance? And we don't want to miss the fact that this is the king speaking to a cupbearer. An important position, but a servant still. How would the king, most likely, most kings wouldn't even pay attention. What did it matter to him whether his cupbearer was happy or sad or somewhere in between? God had built a relationship between these two to such a degree that the king saw Nehemiah because it said that Nehemiah had not been sad in his presence before. Nehemiah was going about his responsibilities in his everyday life, but inwardly broken, and no doubt behind closed doors, still praying, still fasting, still broken over the fact that Israel lied in ruins, and that it was a detriment to the witness of God in the world, and it was not right what was happening. And so he's broken, but he goes about his job every day and fulfills his responsibilities. I want to say just very quickly, in, in brokenness, we still can, and I think ought to, fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us because it will be those responsibilities perhaps where a door is going to be opened. Brokenness does not give us excuse to not engage and continue to work in our life or do the things that God gives us to do. It's the very opportunity that is going to be open to him. But he is sad in the presence of the king and the king notices it. And according to some, this was Dangerous to be sad in the presence of the king of Persia. You were not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king of Persia. If this was a feast, particularly, you were not supposed to be a downer in the feast of the king. You were supposed to be of light countenance and of praise to the king. And so this was dangerous for Nehemiah. His request is going to be a dangerous request. We won't take the time to read it today, but remember in Ezra, Ezra has already returned. And in chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, it was this very Artaxerxes who said, stop building the temple and the city. Stop rebuilding Jerusalem. And now I believe some 14 years later, Nehemiah is in the very presence of this very same king and he's getting ready to ask him to reverse his decision. That's dangerous. That's, that's not something you do lightly. He's not been sad, but now he is. It's dangerous to be sad in the presence of the king because it's an insult to the king. He, he's, it's dangerous because he knows that the the request that he is going to make is a dangerous one. And after the king asked him, why is he, are you sad? We read that at the end of verse 2. Then I was very much afraid. Was fearful. Do you see how brokenness now has given way to the emotion of fear? Still broken. 
And yet now fear is thrown into the mix here, and he's, he's fearful because he knows the reality. He knows the situation he is in. Some writers have even said that his father, Xerxes, probably would have put the servant to death if he was like Nehemiah was in his presence. These kings didn't take this lightly. So he's afraid because he knows he's not supposed to be of sad countenance. He knows he's getting ready to a ask a question that would be to reverse the king's decision previously 14 years ago. And we've all read how the kings, that was one of the last things they wanted to do was reverse their decision because it showed them as weak. But this is exactly what Nehemiah is going to ask. Sometimes in our life, we are going to go from being broken. And I, I hope we're broken about the condition of our nation. I hope it breaks us. Sharing it earlier, before church began, I, I wish, I, I would long to see some leader come that wasn't just angry about the situation or angry at the other side, but truly and sincerely broken over the condition that has enveloped our nation. The spiritual darkness that now blankets our land. I wish that we would see a man come who was broken over that. Not considered or not foremost interested in leadership, but interested in the brokenness that he feels over the condition of our land. And someone that comes, and I believe, to change the course of history here, he's broken in the beginning, and now he is fearful because he knows he is treading on thin ice to be sad, of sad countenance in the beginning. He knows he's getting ready to ask a very dangerous question. And I think as well, Nehemiah is fearful because he knows that the life-changing moment he has been praying for has just arrived. For four months, he's been crying out to God about Israel and its condition. And he goes about his days for four months and in prayer and in fasting he is before God in communion and before the king he is fulfilling his obligations and his, his duty and he is not, not uh, rejecting that but he is still following the path of life that God has put in front of him. But on this day, the brokenness was too much and, and Artaxerxes picks up on it. He says to, to Nehemiah, why are you sad? And he's fearful for all the reasons we've said, but I, I think he's fearful as well because he senses, I think, the moment has come. This life-changing moment before the king of Persia has come. And now Nehemiah has two choices to make what to do with his fear. And you and I have these same choices. When we're broken about something, by the way, we'll say more about this in a minute. Brokenness is good. Brokenness is necessary. Brokenness paves the way for boldness. In this moment, Nehemiah is fearful and he is afraid, and yet he has two choices to make with this fear. Remain fearful and be quiet and put on a face and apologize for your sad countenance. Say, I'm sorry, king. I will fix my countenance and play a part and play a role. You might say, be the hypocrite. Sometimes in our life, that's necessary for us to, to, 
place or to push down the, the emotions that we feel because we have a greater cause to fulfill. But for whatever reason, I believe God had placed upon Nehemiah the brokenness that he felt to this day that it was noticeable to Artaxerxes and he is in this moment, and he is before the king, and he has two choices to do with his fear, and the first one is to do nothing except to turn it around and make up a story and do and to take that sadness or that excuse me that fear and let it turn to bitterness. That's your first choice of what to do with fear. Have you ever have you ever been at a precipice, a moment of decision? And, and because of fear, you, you pulled back. Didn't that fear bake into bitterness in your heart over time? And that's what Nehemiah could have done. Thank the Lord, it isn't what he did. But he could have. His life-changing moment has come. The king has, has asked him a question. What is wrong with you? Nehemiah's choice was to, to remain fearful and let that sadness turn to bitterness or the second choice was to be bold in this moment and let sadness turn into courage. One choice remedies the sadness. The other choice poisons the heart. To let fear cause you to pull back rather than to follow the Lord where he is leading and where he is guiding. As Nehemiah was in this moment, he's broken about Israel. He's broken about the witness to the Lord that is damaged because of all that is happening. He wants to. He wants the Lord to be honored in the land of promise that God had said he would place his people and that, and, and that God had said he was going to bring them back to. Nehemiah was well aware of the Old Testament. He'd read Deuteronomy. He knew God had said, I'm going to bring you home. And he was trusting in that. And so Artaxerxes asked, why are you sad? And in this moment, Nehemiah has this choice. And if God is dealing in your heart, maybe you're lost. And it's fear that is holding you from following the Lord in repentance and faith. And you are before the king of this world, whoever that might be personified as, friends, the culture, whatever that it might be. When you stand before them and you are in a moment of decision and the fear that, or the, that brokenness that you feel, there's something missing in my life. I, I, there's just an emptiness there. There's a hole there. I, I, I wish I knew what my life was supposed to be about. I wish I knew the greater purpose to the reason that I'm alive. I wish I understood some of the pieces of the puzzle that make me a human being that I don't seem to understand. I wish I had peace like other people talk about having peace. I wish I knew where I was going. When I am die, when I die, I wish I had that confidence. I wish I had this, and I wish I had that, and I wish I had all of these things. And then the moment comes, and fear to move forward toward God wins the day, and will turn to bitterness and sorrow in your heart. Do not play around with that; It'll make your heart hard before long. Do what Nehemiah does is by way of example. And of course, this is applicable to lost people. It's applicable as well to saved people. When God puts something on your heart to do. 
but you know it's not yet time. It's Kislev. You've just heard it. The burden has first come. You don't know how the doors are going to be opened. You don't know how the way is going to be made, but you know your heart's broken and burdened about something, and then the moment comes, and I will tell you this, you will feel fear. And you'll have two choices. Let it turn to bitterness and be silent and still. Or let it turn to boldness and follow the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar gives an answer in verse 3. Why shouldn't I be sad, king? You know, our, our nation, I think, wants us to put on a face as well. Our nation today, popular culture, I would say, wants the Christian to put on a fake face. Not speak of the burden that we have in our hearts that our nation has lost its way. That our children don't know the Lord as a nation. That our youth have been turned into robots, ironically following the state and its experts, misled by one lie after another. And the world wants the Christian today to just put on a fake face and to not say what's breaking our hearts. We ought not, we ought not uh, uh, lash out in anger. The scripture says the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Our anger is real, and there are moments and times for us to be angry, but that anger needs to be driven again by brokenness for the witness to God. But in this moment, Nehemiah answers, and he answers honestly. Artaxerxes, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Nehemiah tells him what's wrong. And I think we need to be faithful to tell those around us, what we see as wrong. Again, not the enemy has just, he's thrown us into two camps on just about every issue, it seems. And there's, there seems to be no communication ability between people anymore. It's like walls have been built so thick that we don't listen to one another anymore. And the world wants us to put on a face. Nehemiah does not do that. He shows the sincerity of of his brokenness. This is no show. Nehemiah is not just making something up. He's broken over this situation. This hurts his heart every day. He wakes up every day and he imagines, I believe, the ruined walls of Jerusalem. He imagines the days of David and Solomon and the days when the children of Israel marched around walls of Jericho and God brought them down. He imagines days of King Josiah and, 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 and the other righteous kings of, of Judah. He imagines the temple and the worship that is there. He imagines the glory that it was to God. And yet he also now sees in his mind's eye from a distance the ruined city of Jerusalem and he's broken about it and he shows the sincerity of it and he answers the question. The city of my fathers lies destroyed by fire. Psalm 69.9, we are told that the zeal for your house, speaking to God, has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. 
believe Nehemiah could have said those very same words. The zeal of your house has consumed me and those that reproach you has fallen on me. This was no show. This was no manipulation. This was honest truth from the heart of a servant of God. From brokenness to boldness, and now we begin to make that turn. Artaxerxes in verse 4 opens the door that Nehemiah, I think, has been praying for. Not specifically, though I think no doubt he knew the king was going to have to play a role. He didn't have all this sorted out. Artaxerxes opens the door. He says, what are you requesting? What do you want, Nehemiah? And I thought about that for a minute as I was studying and thinking, Nehemiah hasn't asked for anything. And in some ways hasn't even, by in verbally anyway, insinuated that he wants anything from the king. The question was, why are you sad? And Nehemiah's answered. I'm sad because my homeland is devastated. City of my fathers, where my father's graves are. It lies in ruins, king. And, and there doesn't automatically to you, or at least to me, this doesn't automatically mean that there's a request here. But then you stop and you think, well, this is the king of Persia. He can make anything possible. And I think he's probably accustomed to hearing complaints as requests. King, I have a problem. You, with the wave of your hand and this mere spoken word of your lips, can fix my problem. He's accustomed to this, I think, Artaxerxes is. What do you want? What can I do? Maybe if you want to be benevolent or think well of him. And some have said, by the way, that Artaxerxes is one of the more kind kings that ruled Persia. I think, again, no, no coincidence there. God in control of all things. Amen. He opens the door. What are you requesting? Stop for a minute. Put yourself, put on Nehemiah's shoes. Your brothers told you four months ago our city's in ruins. Your heart is broken for that. You've been praying for four months. God, please make a way for this to be changed. And then in an instant, you're standing before the king who can make this possible. And he says, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want? We are told eight very insightful words. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse five says, and I said to the king, this prayer that he prayed, it didn't even interrupt the conversation. It was an instant. Amen. This happened in his heart to God in that moment, but he acknowledged it. Lord, help. I don't know what was in his mind and the words that he used, but he did tell us this. I prayed to the God of heaven. This instant prayer. This these life-changing few heartbeats between the last words of Artaxerxes and the first of Nehemiah in response to the question and the response to the door that has been opened. This life-changing heartbeat for Nehemiah and for many others. It's in this moment, this instant prayer, 
We do not want to miss the fact that this instant prayer is built upon months of prior prayer. I want to read this to you. Posted this yesterday. Feel like I'm to read it here. In the few heartbeats between a question and its answer, the world can be forever changed. Especially when those heartbeats are spent praying to God. And this is especially true when our instant prayers are well watered with hours of prior praying, as was Nehemiah's. Nehemiah 2.4 is a short verse. We must not miss its vast and monumental truth. Never discount the power of instant prayer and yet always be preparing those instant prayers with hours of prior prayer. Instant prayer is often powerless because so little previous prayer has been given to, to infuse those instant prayers with strength, depth, and true conviction. God had been working in Nehemiah's heart for months now, and I believe no doubt even prior to then, there was a reason. We recall in chapter 1, who asked the question? Hannah and I didn't volunteer this information. Nehemiah asked about it. What's the situation at home? God had already been digging at his heart, I think. But here in this moment, between the, the, the question from Artaxerxes, what do you want me to do? And the moment that Nehemiah begins to answer is this instant prayer. This door has been opened and we go from the opportunity or from the, the situation of being broken over the condition of Israel to now having a door opened that you can now go through if you're willing to to help change that situation. This is an incredible moment, an incredible moment of time that God had been preparing in both Artaxerxes, I believe, and Nehemiah for a long, long time. You've all had situations, I'm sure, in your life when you get to a point in your life and you realize God's been working on this for a really long time. He's been working on that person that I didn't even know. He's been working in this situation in my life. He's been doing this and he's been doing that. And you come to that moment and God, maybe through human means, here's the king, little K of Persia. He says, what do you want me to do? I can sign my name and give you whatever you want. And in that moment, you have the opportunity to, to go through the door and may there be instant prayer always, as the scripture says, be instant in prayer. Constantly ready to call upon the Lord. And Nehemiah goes through the door. His boldness now is seen from his brokenness. He's broken for months. And there is a necessity of brokenness in boldness. I don't believe you can be bold without a measure of brokenness. It's not possible to be courageous without fear. It's not possible to be the willing to go in spite of danger without fear of that danger. There's no boldness in the absence of fear in our life. So fear in our life is something that we can either meet with boldness we can meet with more fear that will again, as we said, turn to bitterness in our life. So there is a necessity of brokenness. And so I will tell you today, if you don't have a measure of brokenness in your life, 
I don't know how much boldness there is either. A lot of people go through their whole life, it seems. And this is more probably what appears to us in looking at others than what's the reality in their own life and heart. But the world can appear, as the psalmist said, I won't quote it exactly, but he said, I, I looked at the, at the relative ease of the world and I was envious because of the brokenness that I feel. And we see that brokenness as a negative thing. And it seems like a lot of people go through their life keeping brokenness as far away from their heart as possible. Ignore the problems or ignore the pain or not deal with the pain or not deal with the reality that this life is temporary. Pushing the brokenness away. And as you push brokenness away in your life, you are also pushing away boldness. To push one is to push the other. To feel one is to open the opportunity to feel the other. So it's necessary. It's necessary to feel this brokenness. Not only necessary, but there are many benefits of boldness and brokenness. There is. Boldness reshapes brokenness. It's a it's an emotion and a feeling and a confidence in God that comes, it does not remove the brokenness, but it it's a salve, it's a healing uh, medicine that's placed over that brokenness to feel boldness. Because imagine for a moment, again, you're Nehemiah, for four months you've been praying, you've been broken over the condition, there's nothing you can do about it. And then all of a sudden there is something you can do about it. God in heaven has worked on a man on earth who can make a way for you and he opens the door and now besides just brokenness you have the opportunity to exercise and to feel boldness. This is not an arrogance. This is a boldness. This is not an arrogance or instead it's a nothing to lose awareness. God is moving here. God is the one that is in charge. God is, is honoring my desire to honor Him. And so I'm broken over the condition of the, of the world and the nation and the lost people all throughout the world. But God has given us and opened opportunities for us as a church, us as individuals, and as God's people everywhere to bring with a bold clarity a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is hope to be found here in this world. There's hope to be had in all of eternity. And when the door is opened, I'm going to go through it, not in arrogance, but in boldness with that brokenness as it reshapes that and turns it into a strength that the world cannot deny. And may God help us that that is how we are. And isn't, do we see how silly it is to me? I don't want to be overly harsh about it. Me and I, yeah, it's a book about leadership. No, it's a book about following God. In the midst of some terrible situations and dangerous situations and fearful situations, but boldly walking through the doors that God opens in your life. Or you can just pull back. And look at the open door. And perhaps watch it close. Do not misunderstand me. We must ever and always try the spirits 
try the things that we feel we can't trust our emotions. Can't trust them. God uses them. And and so does the enemy. We can trust him. His word. We can trust those that we love, that we know and have a confidence in through years of trial that they have been faithful to the Lord, but we can't trust them fully either. We can trust the Lord. We walk through that door. When we know He's the one that's opened it, get out of the way. I'm going through. Broken, but now I'm not just broken. I'm bold. Not because of me. Because you're standing there and you're looking and you're saying, do you see the door that God just opened? I'm going through there, not because I'm brave, because he is God. And I know I have nothing to lose. He walks through the door. He walks through the door by being, again, honest with the king and ask the very thing that would have been extremely dangerous. Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And we know what city that was. And some have have argued whether Artaxerxes didn't know Nehemiah was asking to go to Jerusalem. I think that's as silly as it can be. Of course he did. He knew where Nehemiah was from. He knew what he was asking. Nehemiah asked him very specifically, I want to go to the city of my fathers. I want to rebuild it. Artaxerxes, I want to do what you said was not to be done. That's boldness. That's in the moment. Artaxerxes would have been completely within his power and within his divine, or not divine, excuse me, within his kingly authority to have sentenced Nehemiah to whatever sentence he wanted, from imprisonment to to banishment to death itself. Nehemiah says to Artaxerxes, I want to go rebuild it. He says, not only that, I want you to give me some letters. I want you to sign it, Artaxerxes. I want you to give me letters so that I can give it to these intermediate people between here and there that are going to tell me you can't touch me because Artaxerxes has given me authority. When God is in the movement of his plans and with his people, he will use the strangest of means to us. He will have the very king who does not appear to know God. Nobody knows his heart. God authorizes his servant Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem with the signature of a pagan king. Amen. Amen. That's what God will do. And he says, not only that, give me letters so that I can show it to these people. And then he goes on down and he says, and by the way, I want to show it also to Asaph so that he can give me the timber that belongs to you. He knew Asaph's name. Nehemiah did. Nehemiah knew that he might run into trouble along the way. Do you think Nehemiah thought of all of these things in the instant that he's asking? He's been thinking about this and praying about this for months. He was prepared for this moment that God opened the door. Preparation and prayer should not be strangers. They should be brothers working to the same end in your life. Some will want to discount one or the other. Satan doesn't care which one of those two you throw away so much. He probably would prefer you not have prayer at all. 
But if you pray and you pray and you pray, God, open the door, open the door, open the door, and you do nothing to prepare, Satan's not going to be overly alarmed. And if you prepare and you prepare and you prepare to do all these wonderful things and you don't pray, he's not going to be overly alarmed because your plans are going to come to nothing. No matter how much effort, money, talent, ability you might have and those around you. When God opens the door and you're broken about a cause that he is calling you to and you go through that door. And I'm not talking about, you know, we see this and it is a grand thing, isn't it? This is going to change the history of Israel here. Well, one could say that God had already planned out the, the history. He knew what was going to happen. He's using Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is finding himself used of God in such a mighty way. And sometimes we think, oh, my life was just so unimportant next to him. Oh, a thousand times no. What door has God opened in your life? And you are in a moment of, you've been broken about something, but he's, maybe, he's, maybe he hasn't yet. Well, if he hasn't yet, keep praying about it. Keep fasting about it, spiritually, physically. However, keep being burdened and feel that burden. Don't fan the flame of that burden for God in your life. And, and, when, and as you do that, it's not wrong to, to think and to prepare and to put things in order so that when the time comes, you're ready. I need, I need letters. I need letters to these people. I need you to sign it. Asaph is the keeper of your forest. I'm going to need timber from him. I, he's got all this ready. He's prepared. So in our life, prayer and preparation should always be together. Never separate. Never dismiss. We cannot dismiss our responsibility to prepare under some umbrella that will call, cast it all upon God in prayer. I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to be overly harsh about it because I know that you can miss the boat on either side and both ways, you're all wet. Go all the way on preparation and you're going to be a really prepared, powerless person. You do just prayer and you can call to God and you'll be a person who is in tune with the Lord perhaps, but I think at some point he's going to get a little impatient with you and saying, I gave you a brain. I've given you finances. I've given you a family. I've given you a job. I've given you airplanes to be able to fly across the world. I've given you all that you need to take that material and prepare with it. I've given you a mind. I've given you my scripture. I've given you books to read. I've given you friends and family and other Christians to fellowship with and to sharpen one another because at this very moment that I prepared you for and you've been praying about so go it's time what is it in your life that god is opening the door maybe he's already opened it it's not shut and sometimes i've heard this and i, I know this is kind of tricky but people say you know god's not opened the door and I've, i read some time some many years ago well did you try the lock <laughs> maybe it's not locked are you it did you push on it are you praying and saying God, I, I pray this desire is holy, that, it, that it's what you want in my life. Is the door open yet? And if it's not, then it's not. Sometimes he just wants to know. Wants to know where is your heart? So prayer and preparation are met in Nehemiah. And so again, so many times, and maybe I'm being too harsh on this. You read people say, see, so biblical leadership is all about preparation. No, he's following the Lord and he's praying and preparing all at the same time. And we come down to the end. I love this last 
part of verse 8. He's prepared. He's broken. He's done all of this. He's done. He's been praying. He's he's exercised incredible boldness before the king of Persia. But does he say, this is it because of what I did? Does he say that this opportunity to go back to Israel is because of what I, Nehemiah, God's leader, did? No. I can imagine. I want to talk to Nehemiah one day. I want him to replay this moment for me in his life. The king granted me what I asked. I can imagine his jaw on the floor. It's like I think if he were here, Nehemiah would, would say that, and then if, if we didn't react, he'd say, wait, did, did you hear me? The king granted me what I asked. Hallelujah and praise the Lord, he granted me what I asked. Why? For the good hand of his God was upon him. That's why. And that is the only why that matters. God's hand was upon him. And he knew that. And in preparation and in prayer and in brokenness over a desire to see God's name glorified. He was praying and broken over it. And a moment came for boldness. I believe that there is a moment of boldness heading our way as God's people. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do feel and sense a displeasure, a discontent, a brokenness, you might say, on the part of God's people in this nation for where we are. I don't know what God will do. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. I don't. I do want to make sure I do not tie my identity with it. My identity is with God and my citizenship is in heaven and I have responsibilities here on earth. I don't know what God is going to do. I have no idea. But if we're broken about it, that's the first step. If we're not broken over something, you might as well just leave it alone. You're probably not going to do any good. You probably do a lot of harm. Must be broken. So what? What do we want to close with? I'll just say this. The spiritual walls around our nation certainly appear to be broken down. It's easy to say. And then we, we might say, I can't fix them. You're right. God can. And I'm afraid... As you zoom in tighter, as we as you zoom out and see the city or our nation and the spiritual walls around our nation are broken down, that means to me that the walls around our church and our homes need to be solid. There was a time where this nation would protect us to a certain degree. We had a biblical mindset. At least it respected the scripture. At least the leaders acknowledged. I'm not naive. I'm not Pollyanna. I know that politicians have always been politicians, and I know people have always been people, but there was something ingrained in our culture that kept us within the boundaries of a biblical-minded world view. That is absent today. It's gone. It has disappeared. Those walls are down. 
So make sure the walls around your family and your church are strong. And maybe, just maybe, God will send you on some path that will help that there. But maybe the door that's opening for you is not to rebuild walls around a nation. Maybe it's more important than that. Maybe it's to rebuild walls around your own heart and your own family. Don't dismiss that. Don't measure what God wants to do with your life. Just do it. Follow Him. And if you're, if you're not broken about anything, if you're not burdened about something, as, as has been said, I, I agree with this, if there's nothing in your life you're willing to die for, you're probably not really living. If, there's some, if you're not broken for God's word and for God's gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread, then that's where you need to start. You need to be interested enough to ask, how is it? Instead of just being so easily swayed by the world and dismissive of the true condition of the things that truly matter in life. We don't want to go too far down that path, but boldness and brokenness. Brokenness is the step to get there. And I pray that God will give us boldness uh, as we arrive in that place.